All right, it's the moment everyone has been waiting for. We're officially done with the Lost Hero. We're finally about to talk about Son of Neptune. Our boy Percy is back, and we've also Woo! got Samuel and Diego from the famous, the illustrious, the Riordan endorsed podcast, The Half Blood Report, in the house. So stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Hi, Carter. Hi. You're back um, in Boston. <clears throat> Cambridge. You're back in Cambridge. <laughs> I sure How's am. that for you? Yeah, it's already nighttime. I know. I hate that. <laughs> All right. And big, big warm welcome to our friends, Samuel and Diego. Hi. Hello. Who usually goes first when you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, Samuel? Yeah, usually I would say Diego goes first and then I have to like fill in the blanks that he left out like who we are and what our podcast oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. okay okay my bad um i'm diego uh <laughs> you waved and looked around like there was an invisible audience on all corners of your room just now <laughs> anyway i'm diego and uh i am the co-host of a podcast known as the half-blood report um samuel hit it <laughs> samuel with all the important information <laughs> yeah so our podcast we kind of give an update on like everything that's kind of happening new with rick riordan and his imprints uh and his books and the musical and the show yeah <laughs> so uh, there are lots of great podcasts uh like yourselves who kind of go over all of uh you know rick riordan's uh previous great works we kind of like to talk about stuff that's coming out like four months from now which is what an episode we just recorded and uh you know make predictions on stuff like that yeah and uh you know, that does mean we don't, we often don't get to talk about some of our favorite books that he's, you know, written and published and are years old. And so we uh, like to come on podcasts like yourselves and, and talk about them. And yeah, that's why we're here. Yay. Oh, I'm so glad we can fill a void in uh, your life. Speaking, of, yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, we've recently, um, City of the Play God is the newest book from Requiem Presents. So we kind of have done our latest uh, kind of cycle on that. We yeah. made our final predictions. predictions. We interviewed the author. We reviewed. Uh, reviewed. Yes, and so yeah. uh, I think that's that's kind of how we roll here. <laughs> the the final predictions kind of outdated, but I would I would definitely recommend checking out our interview with Sarwat Chada. That was a lot of fun to record. Um, and he and he gave us some really yeah. interesting answers. So yeah, he seems like an awesome, really chill, cool guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, definitely. Yeah. and and right before that, we uh, reviewed the two Percy Jackson movies. Uh, which you guys guessed it on for the yes. we did. I think that was um three decades ago, but that, that, that was very that fun. was that was a while ago. I'm so bored talking about podcast breaks. <laughs> oh Percy Jackson. <laughs> I know. Let's get into it. Tell me about your guys' relationship with the son of Neptune because I feel like it's slightly different from Carter and I's because Carter mm-hmm. and I were at this point in our lives where we were like actively pre-ordering each mm-hmm. book and waiting yep. for the next one to come out. This is so, the point where they start to all be hardcover for us yes for our collection <laughs> so you know i actually i had to google to f- try to figure out based on like my memory how old i must have been when reading this book oh, no. so uh the answer is seven whoa <laughs> that's younger than elderly. i even started reading <laughs> i don't think i started reading until i was at least nine yeah these so, books not the, in general i was literate <laughs> actually mark of Athena was the was the first one that i had to wait for it to come out um mm. oh I see. yeah okay. okay so we're catching up here yeah so son of neptune i remember getting son of neptune and lost hero for christmas and so i was just like oh i finished percy jackson i've read the king chronicles i actually haven't read the king Chronicles. i listened to them as audiobook which is better because they're supposed to be recording right that's right. true yes 
back when Burke was um, creative about his storytelling choices. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this is why we're never going to talk to him. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if, if we're like legally allowed to endorse this. Don't. That's just me. I'm rude. Sam and Diego have signed a contract at this point where they cannot slander Rick Riordan. <laughs> so don't tempt we, them. We haven't. Oh. We haven't. Uh, we, we can, no, they're still free there, independent we're, journalists we're, who just happen to really appreciate Rick Riordan unlike us heathens. <laughs> yeah so basically the thing was when i was i feel i don't know if you felt the same about this because even though i do listen to your podcast i am not caught up so i have not heard any of your last year episodes yet um mm-hmm. so i don't know how you felt the first time you read it but the first time i read last year it was actually a really engaging story um but i was also seven so it i i just and that kind of final um reveal at the end of the book was pretty surprising to me who could like not catch on so i i like that and then you know the one i read before before that was king chronicles but also you know last olympian so i'm not saying it was really good but it kind of just felt like another really good rick riordan book and a string of really good rick riordan books and then i did mark lafina and then house of hades and house of hades for a while was actually my favorite um heroes of olympus book yeah, really? I, I liked Tartarus. I liked Persebiff in Tartarus. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. Totally. <laughs> I forgot that was a thing this podcast did. Uh, we try our best. But... <laughs> we fail most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can like bleep that out or something. No. Anyways, I kind of, I think it might have been like two or three years ago, I reread this book again. And it kind of hit me rereading it that it was actually really really good because the book is a almost a beat for beat recreation of the lost hero but right. it's just like i think rick varden just re rewriting the lost hero like writing the same book twice <laughs> has to just give you some level of experience that this book is just <laughs> so incredibly amazing and i i've been talking for a while so we can go more in depth on this later i have this whole idea about it but absolutely i'm excited to hear about it ever since then it's kind of been my favorite heroes of olympus my favorite rick varden uh, and in like my top favorite books. So wow, so, I'm excited to hear more about that. I completely agree. It's like the same book, but with a slightly better intro, which sets us off better for the rest of it to enjoy it yeah. more. So I'm actually not sure when I read it. I just know that one year before I stopped <laughs> playing soccer, I lost the son of Neptune, like in the bleachers at soccer ah. camp. So I'm not really sure like how that timeline works out, but I was probably like <laughs> eight. It's uh, a beautiful I w- poetic image. <laughs> wow. I, w- I, w- I want to say I was eight. That's a really um, weird way to relate your book reading. <laughs> wow, it's beautiful. It's lost to the throes of time under the bleachers somewhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So all I remember is like my seven or eight year old like mind like reading the book and being like, oh, like this is a really good book because I had just read The Lost Hero and I was so disappointed. (laughs) Speak on it. (laughs) All right. Well, that was a delightful backstory. (laughs) Thanks for that poetic romp through both of y'all's childhoods, which you're still experiencing. (laughs) I think it's time to discuss the content of The Son of Neptune. We're going to start with a quick plot summary, just like we did for The Lost Hero. Oh yeah, I guess I should have said, we're going through this sort of similarly thematically as we did with The Lost Hero. We're going to do an episode on each of the main characters and um, a couple other divergent episodes on aspects of this book that we think are important enough to create Google Doc outlines and then talk about it on the <laughs> internet. So yes. today we're talking about Percy and kind of the overall structure of the book. Do you want to do the plot summary, Carter? Yes, we're going to zoom through it. Speed. Okay, so Percy wakes up with no memory with Luba, as we knew was going to happen. Um, or sorry, not with Luba. He's been trained by Luba before the book has started and he's making his way to Camp Jupiter, chased by Gorgons. He gets there. He um, brings Juno with him, who is in the guise of like an old woman. And he is told that when he crosses into Camp Jupiter, he's going to like lose the curse of Achilles, which is pretty important. And also like lose the ability to like hide in the ocean. He's on the path to like finding his friends and Annabeth, who is the one person who he remembers from his old life. Wow. We'll talk about that more. Gasp. He gets there. He meets Hazel and Frank, who are two other demigods who are sort of like, Basically, like, losers on their way to powering up to be (laughs) grossly overgeneralistic. We see some war games with them. We see Nico, Nico, who is at this camp, 
and does not tell Percy what's up um, in a phenomenal scene that we also snaps. will revisit. We also meet um, two other people we should mention. Reyna, who um, is basically in charge of the camp, and Octavian, who is uh, kind a of... A plushy murderer. Yes. <laughs> someone who we learn... We're introduced to as basically like sort of an uncool person who is vaguely dangerous and <laughs> yes. is supposed to be in charge of telling the future for them. Um, during this time, we get the setup for the quest, which is that they have to go release death as in the god death, Thanatos, the personification of death, from basically a chain set up by a giant in Alaska, which is incidentally also the site of, like, Hazel's defining childhood trauma, and also where, like, the Roman legion previously, like, had a defining trauma as well and, like, lost all their Convenient. weapons and mm-hmm. everything. So it's really shady and everyone's afraid of it and no one <laughs> wants to go there, but they have to go. Yeah, so they also have, like, sort of a side quest simultaneously in that there's a giant army coming down to New Rome to try and destroy Camp Jupiter. In a week. Yes, in a week. So they make their way up. They meet um, the goddess Iris and Norcal. Boop. Continue up to meet <laughs> Phineas, the prophet. The prophet Phineas in Portland, and as well as the harpy Ella, who also knows a lot about the future. Make their way up further to see the Amazons in Seattle. And we'll Ooh. be back to talk about that more because We're that's iconic. we a whole special episode on the Amazon, baby. <laughs> and then they head up to um, Frank's home in British Columbia, um, where they have, like, another standoff and, like, learn more about Frank's whole life. British Columbia to Alaska. They have the confrontation with the giant. They release death. They succeed, fight a bunch of ghosts. And then they have to make their way back down to New Rome slash Camp Jupiter with all the recovered Legion stuff and defeat the giant army to save the camp. And that's basically it. That takes us to the end. That was yeah. faster, right? Great job, Carter. No, that was super fast. It's also just, it's a better plot. It's tighter. Period. Um, the threads make more sense. Should we let Sa- Samuel, do you want to open with your, your pitch yeah, this, about... This, this is this is the part where Samuel... I, mean, I don't know if my smart. thing necessarily fits in super well here, but I'll kind of... I mean, to me, Octavian, I think, is kind of the fundamental villain of this book. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's more important than the giants. He's almost more important than Gaia, um, and he's he's really what sets. Like if you look at the Lost Hero, the most similar character to Octavian would be Drew. Drew Tanaka. But, but <laughs> see, we've already got thoughts on this. <laughs> but, <laughs> Sorry, continue though. <laughs> but, Sorry, but Drew. The difference is like Drew isn't really like. I guess she kind of has this small motivation, and she likes Jason. But she she doesn't really have anywhere to go. She's just fine being the camp counselor for Aphrodite. While Octavian literally wants to be Praetor of Praetors, and he will do anything to do that. And it's almost kind of like the classic kind of Hitchcock believing that murder mysteries are dumb and you got to give the audience all the information. <laughs> where it's like, they're, they're the same story, but just the fact that we know so much more, and then there's this character who specifically his whole like his whole thing octavian wins if he gets the information that we already have so Mm -hmm. then when later in the book percy regains his memory right it's really awesome because we have wanted him to gain his memory Mm -hmm. but at the same time it also adds this kind of suspense because now it becomes easier for octavian to gain his knowledge that he needs to win uh and that's why i think all those kind of scenes in the Senate are really fundamental to kind of separating the book from the lost hero and just mm-hmm. making it kind of the masterpiece that it is. Absolutely. We kind of um, mentioned this in our most recent episode, I think the final episode on the lost hero, mm-hmm. but there's, yeah. there's such a lacking element of returning to camp half blood. Mm-hmm. Shout out to our friends that returned to camp half blood. <laughs> but we're really lacking like what's going on back at camp while this is happening. And mm-hmm. also the like overall pressure of this, like, the fact that the giant army is impending, like there's nothing threatening yeah. camp. Um, there isn't an Octavian like figure who's overall threatening the like happiness at the camp. So we're just like missing that tension in the lost hero, which is better developed here in son of Neptune. Absolutely. Also the thing that you said about information, I think is so right because the lost hero, the way that they handle like revealing information and withholding it. And this concept of maybe having dramatic irony, but maybe not, is so disastrous but it's like a lot better in this book because we like already know percy right yeah. and like there's a lot of other things that he does in order to make sure that we're not just sort of like frustratedly waiting for the characters to know very obvious things i think in this book but, but it's also super like it's also a really super weird paradox because that ending scene of the lost hero 
it's epic. It's my favorite part of the book, but <laughs> it also, yes, like not because it's the end of the last hero, because it kind of no because. Is, because I have this kind of memory of reading that book for the first time and having my mind blown. Yes. And every time I'm just like, it must be awesome to just read this for the first time. And, and I, that's, I, that's why I love, but it's also, it's interesting because having that mind blowing scene kind of reduced the ability of kind of good writing the rest of the lost hero could have. Yeah. But it also in a super weird way, elevated the set of Neptune because (laughs) In the way we had no expectations, partially, but <laughs> also the fact that the whole scene is Jason slowly building up to someone is in danger at Camp Jupiter, and the the fact that yes, he says Percy Jackson might not even know who he is. That's that's crazy. The fans of Percy Jackson, but what he says right before that, he says they might not treat him as nicely, right? Yeah, and so that kind of little sentence that ends up not really playing the biggest role just <laughs> having that in our memory bank makes this book totally yeah. yeah and 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 i think kind of another thing is that you can't have that sentence without the entire book like the entire mm. the entire lost hero is just like a very like high stakes setup for making the son of Neptune, Neptune even work. more high stakes, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole thing, the entire book could literally just be summarized as Jason, Leo, and Piper do something. Jason says that last line, and then that's the <laughs> entire book, right? It's, it's like just a the last hundred and fifty page prologue. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Lost exactly. Hero is like the Avengers Phase One to Avengers movie. Captain America, the first Avenger, Thor, Iron Man 2. Oh my god, the first two Thor movies, which were so bad. (laughs) Deeply terrible. That is just, that, like, the Lost Hero is on, like, everything before uh, Marvel is the Avengers, and then Son of Neptune is the Avengers. And I I don't know what that means. But but that's another reason why the Son of Neptune is so good. Like, reading the Lost Hero makes the Son of Neptune really good. But I'm sure that writing the same book twice helped Rick make the set of Neptune <laughs> so much better. Yeah. There were cuts, yes. which I think is important. Yes. Like they true, they looked at like, if you read through the, like you could summarize the last hero, as you said, in one sentence, but like the fuller summary is just like a disaster. And it's definitely true that for the set of Neptune, they sat down and they were like, we're having three pit stops, make them count. And it works. It works better when we actually care about them. And there are like interesting people who have like, their own, you know, like obstacles and goals and things that you're meeting in all these places and not like like Medusa and Minos and these like weird sort of allusions to historical villains that don't actually have like any real stakes attached to them in their right. modernization. Do you mean Medea? Yeah, Medea. Sorry. Yeah. Did I say Medusa? I yeah. meant Medea. Obviously Medea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one thing that Rick really like trimmed that didn't quite work for me was the love story component of this book between frank and hazel as opposed to piper and jason um i don't like either of those relationships and we'll talk about that (laughs) in a week or so i know that carter you have a specific opinion on this but like the the relationship between percy frank and hazel like we said i think it's far more developed and way better than the trio in the lost hero but i know that it's not your favorite jason is I've 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 thought this a lot and spoken about it a lot with Samuel, but okay, this this might be like the giant spoiler. You're probably gonna have to like just totally spoiler this for out. giant Charles of Apollo. Giant Charles yes. of Apollo. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, the reason why Jason is the one who gets the spear in his like through him and dies yeah. is because he's the only one who can die. Literally, and yeah. and it's yes. it's he's been set up that way. Like obviously, Rick probably wasn't thinking that far. Um. But he was so, like, he was an interesting character in that you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess he, like, shoots lightning bolts and has, like, a horse or something. <laughs> he doesn't and, even like, do that enough, though. There like, are not like, enough lightning bolts. There's there's a girl there, too. Like, that might be a thing. Um, but really, he's the only character that could have died. Out of mm-hmm. the, the three top characters that were on the chopping block were the ones that were in the lost, lost hero. hero since it was such a bad book yeah. right whereas jason everybody's kind of like oh yeah jason versus percy but in reality the fandom doesn't care about jason they don't, no ca- one does. they don't care what happens to him 
They, they don't care if he lives. They don't care if he dies. I don't they just, trust they people just, like, who care about it's, Jason. It's yeah. such it's <laughs> it's such an easy like way to have like a death that is permanent mm-hmm. that doesn't cause outrage in the fandom, right. yeah. but that also like feels meaningful enough that it brings along the story. Yeah. End of spoiler. <laughs> All right, Carter, your thoughts on the the trio? Yeah. Okay. So, I, I think the problem with the trio is that they don't really ever justify Percy having a relationship with the other two people. Basically, like Rick uses the shorthand of like Percy's a really good guy. He's just like, for you know, like amiable with everyone. Along with anyone, yeah. But then he doesn't backfill that with like obviously like he believes on some level that like Frank and Hazel are special not just because they're powerful but because like they're really nice, right? Mm. But then like we don't, I, I don't feel like he really like goes the next mile to like actually communicate to us like this is why like Frank and like Percy like actually like you know like jive as like, like quest buddies. Yeah, like they're supposed to have like they're supposed to be the brother layer over it, and like with Hazel also, Percy's supposed to have this like extra protective relationship. And I feel like he sort of just forgoes all this and just goes for, like, a very vague, like, Percy's a nice older brother type now who's just looking for some, like, young nerds to help mentor into, like, powering up. Which sort of works for me, but also, like, does not feel sufficient for, like, the emotional stakes that we're meant to feel. Especially given that, like, Percy is supposed to be the one, like, sort of, like, bringing them in together to the Seven when we finally unite them. Right. I don't know how y'all feel about this. I can partially agree with that. But I, I do have to say, the, I mean, they are the only people who are, like, nice to him at Camp Jupiter mm-hmm. for... That's true. I mean, you I can guess. make arguments from, like, anyone to Dakota or, like, Don the Fawn, but... <laughs> they're, Don they're the, the Fawn, the, There needs to be a Fawn conversation. <laughs> they're the only, like, truly try to do something nice for him. I feel like that that's something that kind of resonates with Percy, especially, like... He's he's lost his entire life, except he knows like while well, Jason didn't even know what he had lost, wow. Percy knows that he's lost Annabeth. Like these are the only people helping him find the love of his yeah. life. So True. Okay. I do kind of like the idea that Percy, Frank, and Hazel are like the nice ones. Like they're having a nice fun time together. And Jason, Piper, and Leo are like these rude bitches with like, <laughs> yeah. like with superiority complexes. Team. Yeah, the hot <laughs> team. And Percy and, and Frank and Hazel are so wholesome. They're like, let's do it. And they succeed in everything. And it's like, they're really nice to each other. And and I think that's I, I understand that obviously it's very quick, but I think kind of what what Rick is trying to put by making it so quick is that he's trying to kind of just say like, hey, here's somebody who who is cool and is like a powerful person. And here's these two people who aren't really right. Mm-hmm. And this person doesn't let their abilities like get in the way of who they really are. Whereas like Octavian and even you could argue Reyna are are they're like, oh yeah, we are these people. Like, why would I ever like care about anybody else, right? And Percy kind of just doesn't let that happen to him in that he's not he's not gonna just let somebody else down because he thinks that he doesn't need to care about them, right? And I do think that that Rick kind of skips over that and doesn't really give that character building. Um but I think that it's it's kind of implied enough from what we already know of him that the relationship between the three is is good enough because they kind of all need each other, right? Frank yeah. is, like, Hazel's the only one who believed in Frank. Frank's the only one who believed, like, in Hazel. And uh, Frank and Hazel are the only two that believed in Percy, and Percy's the only one that believed in Frank and Hazel, right? right. Yes. So they're all kind of, like, helping Supporting each other out. Another. And, Yay. like, being nice to each other overall. They're I think the their point, yeah. Support team coming in there, doing the thing, pulling each other up out of bogs, nailing yes. it every time. And Jason and Piper and Leo are, like, trapped, hanging upside down in a warehouse, barely <laughs> making it out alive every single time, and it's not even entertaining. Um, okay, the one other big part of this plot that I would like to talk about that carter i think you noted here in this outline what alaska in this book what function is it serving why is alaska the one place that's like beyond the god's control that's out of their realm should not hawaii be the same thing and yet the party ponies yes there are lots of questions about that we also this is sort of a spoiler but later in um heroes of olympus we go to um 
we go to uh, Puerto Rico also. And Puerto Rico, according to Rick, is like also like a hotbed of like activity for like various people affiliated with like Greek mythology, I guess you could say. It's just really interesting to me. Like, I feel like there's like a model of like colonization and like indigenous territory. And also like we like Sea of Monsters, the whole time we were like in the Caribbean where none of that belongs better. to the US. Yeah, and I it's just, just don't, I don't understand, understand the logic. My favorite part about the Alaska is just like the descriptions of nature. I think that's fun. Yeah. I love how we're just kind of walking around and it's like so pretty and we're talking Alaska's about like great. animals and uh snow and bogs and things. It it makes me yeah. think about oh yeah it makes me think about Pan though and like how like like the natural environment of America is such a big aspect yes. of the original mm-hmm. series. And it, it felt weird to me that there wasn't a parallel, at least to talking about Pan and to talking yes. about Gaia. Percy didn't even mention him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so Percy frustrating. was looking at the trees and the mountains. Percy was like not even listening when Pan was the dying. landscape is. And then he was like, oh, that guy I saw die and like cried for like for 10 hours. Yeah. Don't remember him. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense to me that there isn't at least some kind of tie-in, even even the relationship between Gaia and Pan. Like, what exactly is the difference in the clarity of the world building here between Gaia being the evil Mother Earth and Pan sort of being the Lord of the Wild? Like, how does Pan relate to Gaia in this universe? You know, not necessarily in, like, actual myth, but for Riordan books. Um, I just wish we had more conversation about that, because I think it'd be cool. Yeah, I like this book because it's the first time the quest is going up instead of east or west. So. <laughs> yes. That's fair. Period. This is the only quest book where we never leave a coastline. And we love that. Sorry I do love to the everyone else. Through the Pacific Northwest. Sorry to everyone else, but like um, the coastlines are it. I'm sorry. We've this book this and Sea before. of Monsters had it figured out. I want to see an ocean at all times. Thank you very completely. much. <laughs> I don't feel safe when I can't see the ocean. And I'm literally in the state of Michigan right now. And I'm <laughs> constantly turning over my shoulder. But uh, the, yeah, so I feel it was just like Rick Garden wanted to change up like which direction they're going. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in universe, I feel like... Wait, is there any other book where they go up and down? Only Sea of Monsters. Sea of, sea of only Monsters. Sea of Monsters. Wait, where they do they do some start? squiggles, I think, in House of Hades. New York, yeah, yeah. There, there's some wait, squiggles. Wait, wait. Like, Labyrinth what, is squiggles. What, what happened with House the whole, of Hades like... is squiggles. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Diego's having a I moment. To... Um... <laughs> I had a realization. I apologize. Bermuda's in the Caribbean, right? Did you think the Bermuda yes. Triangle was just like east off of New York? No, I, I actually <laughs> thought it was like in the, in the, in between Russia and the US. Like, <laughs> it's not um but wait yeah samuel what were you saying <laughs> i don't know we're learning geography it's okay it was part of rick's plan all along yeah i was saying like the only in-universe explanation i can even think about is like there aren't many people in alaska like... <laughs> that i don't know there aren't that many people but it's still been colonized so yeah and like claimed as a state so it feels like it would make sense that the flame of western civilization something is like there. in the arctic why couldn't they have and just Antarctica. gone to the Arctic? <laughs> exactly. Last process note is that this book is where we move into four chapters per narrator as opposed to two chapters per narrator. I think it works better though because they do basically like each person takes point on like one of their little adventures and then you actually get the full four chapters to watch them take point the whole time, which mostly works, but it also means that the adventures are all like kind of long now. I think it's fine. I don't know what people think about it. I just felt like we had to note it because the chapter lengths are going to start getting weird. In Marco Vafina, it was like, okay, we're only going to do Greeks this time. And then I was like, oh, so House of Hayes will only be Romans. And then the, the plot hole, I mean, the, not the plot hole, uh, cliffhanger. That's the, the right word. Uh, cliffhanger at the end. I was like, okay, House of Hades <laughs> is just everyone. Okay, let's let's talk about Mr. Percy and his um, lack of Mr. Arc presence. Wouldn't it be um, Mr. Jackson? Mr. Percy Jackson. No, he's Mr. Percy. And in this book, he's giving us he's giving a summer camp mentor. So Mr. we're calling Percy. him Mr. Percy. <laughs> yes, because like I, you're 14 and he's 17, and so he's Mr. Percy. Um yes, those aren't exactly. the ages, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> Although I guess Hazel's 13 and he's 16. Hazel's 13 and he's 16. He's literally Mr. Percy. She doesn't call him that, but like we'll take it. Yes. I think the vibe follows. Anyway, he's back. But you know how Hera was like. Oh, yeah, so we definitely need to take away Jason's last name because then he'll find out about Talia. 
And then oh. she was just like, Percy can have his last name. Even though if he Googles <laughs> himself, he will find articles about all these times he went missing and probably be able to call his mom. <laughs> That's really funny. Although I bet the mist kind of wipes yeah. everything from Google. Or like, demigod Google. No, 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 no. Technology they issues. They yeah. yeah, he can't yeah, go yeah. on Google. Either. Yeah, he can't. But, it, it... but would he have known that if he'd lost his memory? <gasps> Maybe that's Lots why of the very good questions. Are t- These are all great. Yes, I'm glad. You know, we're thinking, we're using. It would have been pretty here. funny if he just like was in like a coffee shop and saw a 60 Minutes on like that kid that jumped off a bridge and terrorized the country that one time. <laughs> okay, so like, oh no, headache. Shop, um, speaking of coffee shop, this is out of order, but one of my favorite like minor developments of Percy's character in this book is that he's like suddenly really into cafes and coffee shops. He mentions it. It's I want to so say important. three. Three or four times. It's so important. And to me, it's like such a 16-year-old milestone. Um, in the original books, like they're like, demigods can't have caffeine because it'll make us too hyper. But in spite of that, in spite of knowing that, Percy is drawn to the coffee. He he mentions that he's like, I want to go to the cafe in New Rome. He sees the cafe in New Rome and he's like, Annabeth and I could have children running around this cafe. Um, and it's just a really important like physical space for him, which for- I thought that was really quick. <laughs> we're, Honestly, we're gonna... like this- this entire like story is just like oh we know each like we know each other for five years and are like giving up immortality like killing ourselves for each other and like thinking about how we're gonna spend the rest of our lives even though we have no connection with one another and then in the first book he just shows up and he's like <laughs> the face I want Carter kids. is making I want him now <laughs> like I want kids not no I want connection college. with one another you really uh-uh. just jumped into my note about the cafe to slander person <laughs> no 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 but like i don't know i feel like no i was i was referring to like the the whole scene where he like looks at it and it's like i would like me and annabeth should have kids running around here and like that was a very like big jump from five years of hey what up hi that's what i thought you said and that really upset me but um he also wasn't sure what his relationship with annabeth was like Yes. Yeah, and and even by the end of the trials of Apollo, they're still not married. Aren't they only like eighteen? Aren't they like eighteen? They shouldn't get married. But like <laughs> they, I don't know. I feel like it's just so strange because their entire like relationship as like lovers is only like. A Do you year. think they should get married at eighteen just because they're Camp Half Blood sweethearts? Although my my belief in my heart is that they never get married, but they're still together all the time. Yeah, because... they don't get married. They have no use for the tax Annabeth benefits. Annabeth does not believe in marriage. <laughs> I don't want them to get married, but that would be the funniest crossover short story if everyone from all the books went to their wedding. <gasps> that is true. Which definitely would have... He's definitely going to write that. Carter, oh my. Sadie, Magnus. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> what is the most important reason we care that Percy's back? It's because the books are funny again. Yes. From the jump, from the very first chapter, we finally have Percy. Like, he's making fun of the Gorgons. Like, even the monsters are just funnier because the way that Percy is perceiving them is hilarious. Like, the the one Gorgon who has the the free samples and the stickers all over. That is so funny because she was working at the Bargain Mart. That is some classic lightning thief, like, level modernization of the monsters, which is so fun. Yeah. But then there's also... Frank and Hazel are nowhere near the kind of level of sarcasm that he has, but they're also... (laughs) They're too nice. Yeah, they are. Rick still manages to make their perspectives so much funnier. Yes. Like, whenever... Like, when we're in Hazel chapters, Rick is like, okay, so Hazel isn't the funniest character, so why don't we have her interact with these really funny, you know, cherub demons? And then... And then when it's it's Frank, uh, Rick is like, well, let's just make him really confused about something, because that's funny. And so, like, having having that throughout is just a, a, a really cool way. And I think often, the even besides the Gorgons, most of the funny monsters we encounter are from Frank or Hazel's perspective, just to make those chapters yeah. funnier. It's really Rick kind of planning out when he's going to need those jokes. I really think just having, just like having Percy in this book set Rick free, it allowed his writing to flow. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that writing the book not from Percy's perspective was scary and just having him yeah. present in the book just elevates the the style of the whole thing and they're also Definitely. like it's not like originally everyone's making jokes all the time and that like Rick has I feel like rediscovered like traditional just character-based humor in this book <laughs> and that like Frank and Hazel just I feel like their perspectives are clearer than certainly like 
Jason and Piper's were in the Lost Heroes specifically, such that like he couldn't really play off of our understanding of how like obvious their worldview would be. Whereas like with Hazel and Frank, he has some certain pushments for both of them, but he like keeps coming back to where like Hazel is like out of time, so he can keep exposing her to like random new things where she's like kind of like a prude and kind of like a luddite and like milking that for humor in a way that exactly. doesn't require her like, <gasps> jokes. And Frank is Canadian. And Frank is Canadian, and we keep making fun of Canada. <laughs> Very <Fair>. good. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. The way he describes having to carry Hera is so hilarious. Also worth mentioning that that is a mirroring to the story of Jason carrying Hera um, yes. across the river as the prophesized man with one shoe. Um, yes. Rick truly threw the entire Argonaut story into this. He's like, I will make literally every illusion. Every single one of the seven will do one of the random little thing that Jason did in the original Argonauts. Yeah. Um, yes. Actually, related to this, but not at all related to this. The other day, I was sitting down. Um, and this I sounds was very thinking, unrelated. And I, and I realized that Selena and Clarice, like Selena putting on Clarice's armor, is uh, is an allusion to Patroclus and Achilles. And you I realized just this realized the other day. The other day. Subtext, and that's why I shit um, <laughs> Clarice and Selena over. Yes, Selena and Charles, or Clarice and Chris Rodriguez. Going back to the river, I think it's just funny that Rick had to nerf Percy. Um, like, and he's like, <laughs> explanation. Yes. Yeah, it was. Deeply lazy writing, but also like we all know that he had I to love do it. it. <laughs> I know we knew it had to happen to reset. Yeah, it was just like a quick update patch. He was like too overpowered. <laughs> but I, but I also like he was just like giving another reason the Romans and Greeks are different. You can't have the the same uh, upgrades. Yeah. yeah, it definitely separates him. It definitely tells us immediately like we're in a completely other world. Everything that happened beforehand may or may not yeah. be relevant now. It like ups the stakes a little bit for sure. But it does feel like oh, okay, sure, like that was quick. <laughs> But, but it, <laughs> was like like, a it makes sense we're all like yeah i mean of course yeah sure. i love the part where percy instantly he has those oh, he makes fists out of the river water that is the kind of power up that we don't that like jason's one lightning strike at the start of lost hero <laughs> does not give us i mean let's just take a brief moment to discuss the absolutely heart-wrenching moment where nico comes into camp um and acts oh like he God. doesn't know who percy is this hurt me. This brought me physical pain. Where Percy's like, I definitely know you. And Nico's like, you? Oh my god. <laughs> Should we talk about Reyna? That whisper <laughs> yeah. really freaked me Should out. Should we talk about that very awkward moment? <laughs> Reyna, I realized it while we were outlining for this episode. This is the first time in my rereading of all these books where I've actually felt like, I feel like a yes! character's relatable. Yes. In my rereading. Yes, and maybe it's because we're in our 20s now. And I don't know. I just, this is the first time I feel like, oh my God, Reyna. Like, I see myself in her. Like, I understand yes. it. Like, I, if I was reading the books for the very first time, she would be my favorite mm-hmm. character. That's on yeah. character development as a human <laughs> being. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I can't like, relate to being a 20 year old uh, reading these books again. So, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's just like, I think no like we're like at a point in our lives where we're like, I don't know how to say this. Like, I feel like really like washed out, um, like washed up. And I feel like that rain of energy of just exhaustion. Every day I'm just looking around, waiting for someone to do the other half of my job. I also really like the parallel of Reyna (laughs) to Annabeth, as in Reyna is literally running Camp Jupiter versus Annabeth Mm -hmm. is like running Camp Half-Blood, but like technically Chiron is still there. But we all know that Annabeth mm-hmm. is literally running yep. Camp Half-Blood. At least <laughs> Reyna is given the respect that she deserves for being in yeah. charge of everything. But their interaction is... So this is the other half of the Reyna relatability because the way that Reyna basically propositions Percy is so... <laughs> it's so uncomfortable, but in such... Out loud, out loud, out loud, <laughs> Erica. out loud. The point is, Percy, you are the real power on this quest. You are a seasoned veteran. I've seen what you can do. A son of Neptune wouldn't be my first choice, but if you return successfully from this mission, the Legion might be saved. The Priorship will be yours for the taking. Together, you and I could expand the power of Rome. We could raise an army and find the doors of death, crush Gaia's forces once and for all. You would find me a very helpful friend. She said that word like it could have several meetings and he could pick which one. Percy's feet started tapping on the floor, anxious to run. Reyna, I'm honored and all, seriously, but I've got a girlfriend and I don't want power or a proprietorship. Percy was afraid he'd make her mad. Instead, she just raised her eyebrows. A man who turns down power, she said. That's not very Roman of you. <laughs> so that was the moment. That was the moment. <laughs> that was that was very uh, tense. <laughs> 
tense. Oh my god. But it's so relatable. That was tense. And then and then Percy didn't like see that tenseness. He was just like, wait. I think he's uncomfortable. I mean, his, his anxious tapping. He's uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable, but he deals with it like so effortlessly. He's like, already got one of those back home. Yes. I'm good. The other thing that Raina brings in for us, of course, is the fact that Raina knows Percy. We don't remember Raina as readers because she was never like named as a character for us, but never shown. Yeah. Never shown. She's off screen. Yes. <laughs> But we had, Raina, we had a is, big argument whether or not you could, you could, Reyna would even be somebody that you could know of right. if you hadn't read the Sun right. of Neptune. Yes. Which right. you can't. You could we not. We went back. Reyna's yeah. giving us, like, even lower than a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern moment here, <laughs> which is, like, actually the thing that you did when you were 13 really impacted my life because she was working for Cersei on the island that Percy and Annabeth basically got overrun by pirates as they were fleeing. And so she and her sister, you know, like, had to basically fight for their lives, restart somewhere new. Um, and this is the first time we're basically seeing that Percy's actions for the first five books, even though, like, you know, he was a kid, like, they did, of course, have consequences. And Reina is sort of the first consequence that we're meeting. Such an interesting theme that doesn't get expanded on a lot in this book. I feel like later Heroes of Olympus, like, particularly like Tartarus, they do a lot of, like, Percy, you didn't clean up your messes, and now we're going to stew mm -hmm. in that. And... Figure out what that means for you. <laughs> we have to talk about the man purse. This is, because this was upsetting. This is so random. This is the most random part it's of this stupid. book that made no sense to me. I mean, the Iris pit stop wasn't necessary at all. Let's just yeah. start there. No, it was necessary for Frank. <laughs> for Frank. It was necessary for Frank. It was necessary for us to have some weird, more problematic <laughs> notions of what religions yes. are religions and what religions count how in this universe when we have Iris, the white woman who is really into Buddhism. And Taoism. And, <laughs> and Taoism all and all things. Asian spiritualities. Um, he, Percy, in character, like, I feel like maybe he might make some jokes about it, but Percy would not be ashamed of the purse. Where is this coming from? I Rick? think this is a period piece that it was 2011 and everyone was like, man buns, man purses... Isn't this a funny cultural phenomenon when men carry bags? Man buns aren't over. You would not believe how many people still feel the need to refer to every bun as either a bun or a man bun. Yeah. Um, My, anyway, anyway. Just, if you don't remember this detail from the Son of Neptune, there are several pages. Like, it's got to be upwards of six mentions. They keep coming back to it. It's a purse and has to carry it. It's also not even a purse. It's like it's a, a shoulder satchel. satchel, which lots of people use anyway across all genders. It doesn't make well, any sense. Really, you have to understand. It's tie-dye. <laughs> <laughs> tie-dye is very in right now. Let's be real. 20, 2020 um, bisexual disaster Percy would be really into a tie-dye satchel, and that's on growth. This is true. Yep. Percy would do indigo tie-dye <laughs> exclusively. No, because it's blue. <laughs> um, yes. Because it's blue. We, okay, we're going to talk briefly about the Phineas face-off. Phineas, of course, is like the seer who's brought back from the dad. This is like a different kind of face-off. Percy defeats Phineas with like a gamble, basically. Because Phineas, even though he can see into the future, can't see Princess Bride. Events That's all I'm chance. saying. It was um, totally the whole... It was the whole thing where... <laughs> where I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree. It's, it's the same kind of cool moment, but it's different the states because... What's his name? I guess the, the cool pirate dude. Oh. Yeah, I forget his name too. He's just like, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna trick you into killing yourself. Um, this one is not a trick, the, really. Here, it's it's partially a trick because he's intelligent enough to think ahead of his enemy, but he also at the same time has to rely that his enemy Gaia, who's talked about him being a pod in her game, is going to be willing to like save him because he doesn't know what her game is. He just yeah. thinks he's probably important enough to still be alive. Yeah, I, I, I like this more than, you know, Princess Bride because that's that's basically <laughs> just murder. Um, while here, it's, you know, yeah, gamble is a word for it, but it's it's almost just kind of, it's it's more of a gamble for Phineas than it really is for but Percy. But for both of them, um, like, it's not, it's different from the past dangers that we've seen Percy in where it's not like, you know, something like his emotional connections or like his ability to dodge things or whatever, like none of that can save him. The danger feels much more real. And we're engaging him on this, like, um, we're engaging, like, his cleverness. And, like, the idea that, like, Percy is, like, a person who, like, has, you know, like, even though we think of him as dumb, like, we're also supposed to think of him as, like, sort of witty, right? So um, I, I, I thought that this was a really good encapsulation of where we are with Percy now, where we can see him sort of, like, leveling 
we're, we can seem like maturing in some ways, even though we didn't see like a, a progression to the maturation, we're seeing like there's more stakes. It's darker. Someone's dying a really painful death and you can't dodge it. But also like we got there because of the same sort of threads we've been seeing growing of like Percy, who's like willing to sacrifice you know, it all. Yeah, like witty, thoughtful and willing to sacrifice yeah. it all. Yeah, like very protective. We see like the older brother <laughs> mode kicking in as well, which is important for the book. And and I would say as for your thing about him maturing, it's really kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It kind of starts in the last Olympian where he starts understanding how the, you know, godly, which really just represents adult world works. And then he's kind of understanding how these kind of greater beings are thinking and planning and their works. And that's kind of at the end of the last Olympian, he has this whole speech about what he's going to make the gods do because he's kind of understanding the system yeah. and how he can, you know, really fix it. And then here, it's the same thing. He's un- he, it's not so much like a system, but he's understanding yeah. how these kind of greater beings think game. and work, and how we can use that to his I, advantage. I think I think he's he's realizing that kind of realized. I think uh, as Sam was saying in the last Olympian that he is just like a vessel of greater powers that are trying to like get stuff done through him, right? Like the whole thing where it's like I can't go into the underworld, but <laughs> you can go into the underworld right. for. Me, you can carry right? the bolt. And that's like that whole thing where it's kind of like they are just playing games with him and his friends. And it's kind of just like one big, I wouldn't think of it as a chessboard just because I don't know, chess is like simple enough. It's just one mm-hmm. versus the other. I think of it more as like some sort of like complicated like diagram sort of thing where people are like moving their like right. chosen pieces. Like people are like moving Percy forward and like taking out different people and you kind of have to be like realize the entire game and see like what am I willing to sacrifice right it's like okay Phineas I'm willing to let him die save Percy right so that he can give me that little drip of blood so that I can rise right and Harris saying like oh I'm willing to let like x amount of people die save this person right or I'm letting willing to let this person hate me because that hatred will make them like in the end actually like blow up in a fiery ball of fire and get my enemy, right? How how cool is it that this whole series is just uh from the perspective of chess pieces in the game of two immortal powerful strategic women. <laughs> yeah, like it's like. a Hera versus Gaia <laughs> moving their different demigods around. <laughs> That's a fun way yes. of looking at it. Yeah, and but but like it's it's all the same pieces. Like, right? Yes. They're playing yeah. with the same pieces. It's just you you get a turn to move it forward. I get a turn to move yeah. it backwards, right? And it's kind of like, where are you de- deciding to devote your yeah. energy, right? And like, Juno might win the, the short game by closing the doors of death, but like, Gaia's playing the long game, but Juno actually played the longest game um, <laughs> and it's wins also in like the end, Juno right? versus her mother-in-law? Right? That's fierce. Yeah. Like grandma. Grandmother in law. Her grandmother. Powerful. Yeah. And grandmother in law because she married her brother. Challenge <laughs> your grandmothers. Um actually don't. It's so scary. Don't do that. Can I comment on something uh kind of unrelated that I forgot to mention when we were talking about Iris? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this character, she annoys me because as we've learned, she, sure, she's a pacifist, right? And she's helpful to Frank, okay, and she gives Iris messages, that's cool. But as we have learned at the end of this book when he defeats Polybides, the requirement for a god helping a demigod in the battle against the giant is is not that much, right? If you yes. right, so if if she had like not been a pacifist and then you know Frank had shot an arrow and she had actually hit him with the ding dong instead of just throwing it at his feet, like if a god throws a ding-dong at a giant, that technically counts as the god fighting the giant. And then the demigod just had to do and finish the work. So they could have defeated Polybides like halfway through the book. And no, because Iris is a pacifist. So That is an know. excellent pointing out of a plot hole. And also I'm impressed that you remember the name of the giant because I cannot keep any of the giants straight. I don't know which one is which. I, 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 I love <laughs> like trying to say the giants' names because like I don't know. Is yes. is the yes. is the Hades one like all science? Maybe our yes. new special guest question is so. name at least one of the giants. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. I like that. Everyone's, <laughs> everyone's gonna say enchiladas. Enchiladas, yeah, enchiladas. Enchilada. Uh, such a grover joke. We should probably make a brief mention of the fact that there's a weird little subplot about Percy drowning. 
I don't want to talk about it that more. I think it's boring. I think it's a bad idea that he never follows through on that feels like something that showed up in the outline and forgot to take out. I don't know if other people have other takes on this. He's not going to drown. He's not going to drown. He doesn't drown. We all know he's not going to drown. He does kind of follow it up on in the house of Hades and Mark Rafina. Yes, it is. But he also still doesn't drown. Um, yeah, not no, to I, I be think... too technical okay. about it. But... This might be going in a bit deeper, but you can consider his failure at the end of Mark Rafina as him finally drowning in... Guilt? What was his the, shame? Drowning in hell. No, no. In Marco Fino, there's actually like a part where he discusses drowning something. But I don't remember if he was drowning in thoughts, emotions, or feel. He was drowning in something <laughs> emotional. I don't count it as drowning unless you like die, though. Is that not what the definition <laughs> well, is? Because he like he, he lives goes the whole to time. Tartarus. Okay, that is literally hell. I guess. Anyway, I don't know. I think I think that it serves a very important purpose, which is to put doubt into the abilities of Percy. And put him less as sort of this sort of like perfect person who just like doesn't drown. Yeah. Mentally no, nerf I think, him. I think doubt is important. I think self-doubt is really important for a character. I don't think he was ever going to drown. Yes. I don't think he ever legitimately in his heart believed that he would drown. I just think that he had become scared and started realizing that his world that was go on a quest, kill the bad guy come home, hang out at camp, right? Like, his whole thing had been broken. Like, And I think it's kind of important to put doubt in the equation, not just for the character, but for the reader, reading it and being like, oh, he can't drown. Can he? No, I agree. Like, doubt is important. <laughs> I just wish the doubt had been about something that was more of, like, emotional relevance to Percy rather than, like, sort of, like, a gimmick about his powers. Samuel and Carter were both correct there are multiple definitions of drowning one like the main definition is die through submersion and in an inhalation of water but also drowning can be being overwhelmed by a large amount of something feelings perhaps i thought that was just like a metaphor but i guess that's the if you use a metaphor enough the dictionary will literally change (laughs) Um. so i know this isn't the hazel episode but can i just comment on the fact that a uh a descendant of Poseidon is supposed to wash away her curse, and we never mention how her horse is literally a son of Poseidon. So, listen, I don't know about Frank being the descendant. I'm just saying, like Pluto specifically mentioned horses when he also mentioned her curse. So, we also never really follow up on the curse, but we can. Hazel is such a horse girl, and I'm really looking forward to talking the, about the it. greatest problem for the Mark of Athena is that when Blackjack and Tempest met up, Arian wasn't there. <laughs> truly sad they said flying horses only um, we really have to track the horse drama in these books yeah. um, all right so just traveling through just the end real quick with the iconic percy moments exploding sprinklers exploding sprinklers genius once they get to alaska this whole thing where like they're in like the real danger now and hazel and frank are like are you gonna be okay and he's like looks at the army and he's like yeah no i got this no worries <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I have no words. There's only vocalizations it's at very that good. point. When he, he stabs um, Riptide into the glacier after telling Frank and Hazel that he might not make it out alive or whatever. Yeah, because we all think he might drown. Right. He's not going to drown, but it's still epic. Gonna... It's, I, I feel like that would be like the climax of the entire movie. Yes. Just be like, hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, go get the giant. It's like literally what he says. Like, Frank is like about to choose, right? Percy says, like, go with her. I'm fine. And then disappears. The special effects... For this thing, like, to see on screen, oh. Oh, my God. It's going to be so cool. Like, huge glaciers. But the even more iconic moment after he stabs Riptide is when he's waiting for them. Yes. So. Yes. Absolutely. Out loud, out loud, out loud. So this is page 471 from Frank's perspective. Percy was waiting for them. He looked mad. He stood at the edge of the glacier, leaning on the staff with the golden eagle, gazing down at the wreckage he'd caused. Several hundred acres of newly opened water dotted with icebergs and flotsam from the ruined camp. The only remains on the glacier were the main gates, which listed sideways, and a tattered blue banner lying over a pile of snow bricks. When they ran up to him, Percy said, Hey, like they were just meeting for lunch or something. You're alive, Frank marveled. Percy frowned. The fall? That was nothing. I fell twice that far from the St. Louis Arch. You did what? Hazel asked. Never mind. The important thing is, I didn't drown. So the prophecy was incomplete, Hazel grinned. It probably said something like, the son of Neptune will drown a whole bunch of ghosts. Percy shrugged. He was still looking at Frank like he was miffed. I got a bone to pick with you, Zhang. 
You can turn into an eagle and a bear and an elephant, Hazel said proudly. An elephant. Percy shook his head in disbelief. That's your family gift? You can change shape? Frank shuffled his feet. Uh, yeah. And he got that gift from Poseidon. That's completely unfair. I can't turn into animals. Frank stared at him. Unfair? You can breathe underwater and blow up glaciers and summon freaking hurricanes. And it's unfair that I can be an elephant? Percy considered. Okay, I guess you got a point. But next time, when I say you're totally beast, shut up, Frank said. Please. And Percy cracked a smile. Sorry, I had to get to the Period beast line. I had to get to the you're totally beast. Yeah. <laughs> this is what this is how they need to write the fight scenes. Because like the, you know, the mechanics of the flashing, who cares? Oh, it's so good. It's just so good. When we understand, like we're when Rick doesn't like talk down to the audience and we're all on the same page about what the actual stakes were, which is that they were low and that we always knew he was gonna crush yes. them. Um, yes. I don't know. I like I, I like I like that whole scene just so I just much. Like, like that they're the they're talking. They just they just won like the thing that they thought was gonna kill them. They're about to go in another battle they think yeah. is probably gonna kill everyone. And so they're just mm-hmm. like, Yeah, we're gonna make fun of each <laughs> other. Just another day as a team. <laughs> yeah, do do some banter right before we probably yes. die again. <laughs> Look, I never asked to be a half blood. Um, all right. Yeah. And then from there, basically we're, we're, we're in the final, you know, the tying up the knots part of every, um, yes. book. They go back to camp. Percy gets made prior. Sure. He fights a giant with Terminus in one of the most Percy turns comedic genius. And yeah. And then the, Percy basically has to explain what's happening and they get the scroll that Leo invents. And then as we end yeah. off the book, the Argo two is sailing into Camp Jupiter. Oh Yeah. Yay. Oh, yeah, yeah, they see it in the sky, and it's like, I hope that thing <gasps> doesn't kill us. So to just close up on Percy. What are y'all f- final thoughts on Percy in this book? Is it an arc? Is it not an arc? Do we care? Samuel? <laughs> Why do I have to go first? <laughs> oh, I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll go first. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I think it's still my favorite book out of all the books. That's awesome. Um, I think it's closely followed by interchangeably any three of the Kane Chronicles. Uh, I just really like the Kane Chronicles overall. Um, but I think it's just really good. Like, the trio is nice, right? They're nice people. The fight scenes are really cool. The overall thing goes up and down and ends, like, North and it south. starts funny and it ends funny, mm-hmm. right? And everything yes. in between <sighs> is nice people, funny monsters, cool battles, and good times like, good deeds that's exactly that's the whole thing right yes and it's just a very <laughs> it's a very enjoyable book to read and i think it's just overall the best quest the final battle could have been a little bit harder like it was relatively easy um but i yeah. think that's kind of like how a quest is it's kind of like you do all the battles thinking that the end is going to be hard and then you realize like hey all those battles that I just did combined are harder. Mm-hmm. Like, I've survived all those. Yes. Now I'm here. Now this is easy. Like, now I've done the development yes. yeah. that it's taken me to get there. Totally. And that's why I think this book is so good. barely breaking a sweat fighting that giant. <laughs> yeah, I'm so confused. Did you pay attention to the question? Yeah, no, it was good. That was a good answer. <laughs> that was a good response. It's turn. fine. <laughs> but he never said the word arc. That's what confused Well, because there isn't really one. It was a trick question. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Spend oh, this no. whole time preparing an answer to a question we don't care about. No, we no, care. we do care about the question. Give us your answer. Samuel, what are your thoughts, um, please? Yeah, so yeah, I would say the the book has much more of an arc for Frank and Hazel. Like they're the ones who really get the change. Um, mm-hmm. but I would say it's just kind of like for Percy. Uh, first off, we just love Percy, so it's fine if he doesn't really need to change a lot in this book. Um, but it's kind of like the um, sort of Marty McFly thing where if a character is like proactive enough, then they don't really need to have an arc because it's just fascinating seeing it. Like Percy, she's doing literally everything he can in this book to just, you know, save Camp Jupiter and get back to Annabeth. He's just trying to accomplish so much and like watching him every step of the way is just what's fascinating. So yeah, he doesn't really need an arc in this book while Frank and Hazel do when they get one it's good but yeah, yeah percy is awesome he's the star of this book he's on the cover Period. he's the star of our lives all right <laughs> i'm gonna close out here with the page 512 percy hazel said you swore on your life romans take that seriously if anything goes wrong even by accident octavian is going to kill you you know that right percy smiled 
He knew the stakes were high. He knew this day could go horribly wrong. But he also knew that Annabeth was on that ship. If things went right, this would be the best day of his life. He threw one arm around Hazel and one arm around Frank. Come on, he said. Let me introduce you to my other family. That's so oh, heartbreaking. Oh my god. That's so good. <laughs> Why could it not have been the best day of his entire life, Rick? Why did you have to do the opening <laughs> chapters of Marco? Why don't you just call him an ass? <laughs> Diego, why do you spread these rumors? I did not That's the response spread every time. <laughs> every time. Well, thank you so much, Samuel and Diego. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm so glad that we found people who really, really love this book. It was lovely to experience yes. your passion for this book. Anything you want to close plug out? Plug it. Let the people know. Okay. Uh, Diego, have you have you forgotten how to plug our podcast? No, 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 no. I remember. <laughs> Stop. I got it. It's been so long since they needed advertising. <laughs> I'm Diego uh, from from the Half Blood Report. To make it easier for you guys, we do have a website, thehalfbloodreport.com, <laughs> and there you could uh, basically just find us. The Instagram is the Half Blood Report, uh, and the Twitter is at Half Report. All right, thank you guys so much. Oh, next week we're going to be talking about. Frank, I believe, with our good Canadian pal, Alex Yam. Canadian friend. <laughs> See you guys then. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.